Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. This episode is brought to you by Arima Genomics. Arima Genomics advances human health and the life sciences by revealing comprehensive genomics insights. Researchers and clinicians use Arima Genomics' innovative products and services to gain unparalleled access to the genome sequence, structure, and regulatory landscape. This advanced technology enables improved human health through identifying biomarkers, expanding understanding of disease mechanisms, developing novel therapeutic approaches, and aiding in patient management. Scientists often refer to DNA as the blueprint of a cell. Whether the genetic material is single-stranded or double-stranded, linear or circular, organisms across the tree of life rely on their genomic blueprint for instructions on living, growing, and reproducing. Due to the amount of information carried by this blueprint, the size of the genome poses a biological dilemma. From humans to single-celled aquatic organisms, all eukaryotes must find a solution for organizing their DNA into a tiny nuclear space. In the quest for better tools to understand the 3D genomic architecture and the biological challenge of chromosome folding, a team of biochemistry and systems biology researchers investigated the unique genomic organization of a unicellular marine plankton. In this episode, Deanna McNeil from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Job Decker, a professor in the Department of Systems Biology at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and an investigator at the Howard Hughes Medical Institute to learn more. How the DNA is packaged varies among cell types and species, but the need for genomic organization is universal among all living organisms. Whether seeking to understand fundamental aspects of chromosome folding or identify new mechanisms, researchers study DNA organization in 3D space to reveal knowledge about genome functionality and species evolution. Research on DNA's 3D architecture has led to numerous biological insights, including an increased understanding of transcriptional regulation in different species and how disrupting this regulation can lead to human disease. For Job Decker, examining how chromosomes function, fold, and evolve in 3D space has been a long-held curiosity worth pursuing. Decker has devoted his research career to understanding chromosomes, from regulation to organization. I've been interested in biology ever since I was about 11 years old when I started being really interested in wildlife in general, which later merged into my deep interest in molecular biology and biochemistry, pursued studies in the Netherlands, studying transcription factors, DNA binding, really detailed biochemical, biophysical studies. A big change happened when I joined Nancy Gleckner's lab as a postdoctoral fellow back in 1998. She had been a pioneer in studying chromosomes, particularly in meiosis. I was driven by my deep interest in understanding how chromosomes work. How do these local events of proteins binding to DNA control the folding of much bigger things like whole chromosomes. But I always go back to my original interest, and that is really biology. When people ask me, oh, are you a genomicist or a biophysicist? I always say, no, I'm a biologist. Ultimately, I'm really driven by understanding biology. And that has led me to study chromosomes across many different species 
to understand how across the tree of life, chromosome structure has evolved. Decker's love of the biological process has led to his technological breakthroughs in the field of 3D genomics, which have revolutionized the way scientists study chromosome organization. For most early studies of the 3D genome, researchers relied on imaging-based approaches, such as high-contrast light microscopy and fluorescence-based microscopy. While imaging technologies provided an initial view of genomic positions relative to one another and revealed spatial DNA variability within cells, researchers could only examine a few regions of interest with these methods. In 2002, Decker introduced a new idea to the field of 3D genomics, that by physically capturing areas of interacting DNA, researchers could determine the spatial organization of entire genomes with detailed and comprehensive resolution. When I joined Nancy Kleckner's lab, that inspired me to develop chromosome confirmation capture, a kind of an NMR-based method for chromosomes. If you try to solve the structure of a protein using, for instance, NMR, you can see which atoms along the protein are near each other in three-dimensional space. If you know that for each amino acid or each atom of each amino acid, you can solve the structure of a protein. The idea of chromosome conformation capture is very similar. If you know which pieces along the length of a chromosome, which loci or genes are close to each other in three-dimensional space, you can infer the 3D structure of a chromosome. Chromosome confirmation capture techniques are a set of methods that researchers use to quantify the number of interactions between genomic loci that are near to each other in 3D space. These techniques rely on chemical cross-linking that locks DNA interactions in place, followed by enzymatic treatment to cut the DNA into fragments. The fragments that are near one another are then attached together chemically so that researchers can identify the pieces of the genome that interact in 3D space by examining their DNA sequence. In graduate school, when we were doing a lot of NMR and X-ray crystallography to study protein DNA complexes, we were making the joke that wouldn't it be great if we can do something similar, solve the structure of a whole chromosome, not just of a protein or a protein bound to DNA, but studying a whole chromosome. A number of years later, we are now able to do that. We are able to study how chromosomes are folded, how their folding changes, how that impacts gene regulation, chromosome segregation. That has been really something that started just as a curiosity. Could we solve chromosome structure to something that is now being done around the world by many people? And we're continuing to learn uh, many new things. The advent of powerful sequencing technologies worldwide has progressed the field of 3D genomics forward. Although whole genome sequencing is a key tool for researchers seeking to understand the genome today, high-throughput deep sequencing did not exist between 1998 and 2002, when Decker began developing the chromosome confirmation capture technique. Instead, he relied on simpler molecular tools and model organisms to establish this method for untangling complex chromosome structures. The big challenge in this field has always been scale. Chromosomes are just so large. The human genome. It was not the first genome that was sequenced. Initially, smaller genomes were sequenced. Bacteria, yeast, C. elegans, fruit flies. Smaller genomes usually lead the way in this field. And the same was true when I developed chromosome confirmation capture. At the time for detecting these interactions, I had to look at them one by one using 
things like PCR, which is a very powerful assay to detect DNA, but it's low throughput. I would go step by step along a chromosome till I have a decent map that covers the whole chromosome. In addition to the challenge of throughput, there were very few organisms with completely sequenced genomes at that time, due to a lack of deep sequencing technologies. When building the foundation for the advanced chromosome confirmation capture methods researchers rely upon today, Decker turned to the yeast genome, which was first sequenced in 1996. Researchers have employed Saccharomyces cerevisiae, also known as brewer's yeast or baker's yeast, as model systems in genetics dating back to the 1930s. Baker's yeast are single-celled eukaryotes that divide quickly, making them ideal model organisms for studying cell division, cellular reproduction, and the cell cycle. They also have small genomes, with just over 12 million base pairs. This may seem small relative to the roughly 6 billion base pairs in the human genome, but mapping yeast-chromosome interactions with chromosome confirmation capture was a huge leap forward in 3D genomics. The genome was small, but it was a lot of work. At the time, it was the best we could do. In the years since, the human genome has been sequenced. Many other organisms have been sequenced. So we have genomes available for hundreds and hundreds of organisms, plants and animals and insects, a variety of protists living in the oceans. There's a really a wide variety of genomic information available. And this is fantastic for the field of chromosome folding. And now we can ask questions like, what is the structure of each of these chromosomes? Some organisms have hundreds of chromosomes. Some of them have only one or two. Some of them have very long chromosomes. Some of them have very short chromosomes. So it seems that each organism has to find their own ways to fold these chromosomes in their cells. There has been tremendous progress in our ability to obtain the linear sequence of chromosomes or entire genomes. And now we're starting to implement chromosome conformation capture-based assays to see how those linear sequences are folded in 3D space. After the Human Genome Project was finished in 2003, and the human genome was first sequenced, Decker and his research team invented variations of his initial chromosome conformation capture techniques, including 5C and HiC, which employ deep sequencing and novel bioinformatics methods to make sense of the human chromosome interaction map. Over the past decade, his research has also turned toward the 3D genomic architecture of an unlikely organism, a group of single-celled marine plankton called dinoflagellates. Dinoflagellates are eukaryotes, meaning just like humans, they have a cell nucleus. Many people know about dinoflagellates as these bioluminescent uh, cells in the ocean. When the waves come in, sometimes you can see bioluminescence in the water. Those are bioflagellates living in the ocean. In addition to being abundant symbiotic phytoplankton, dinoflagellates are typically highly motile and live in both marine and freshwater environments. They are widespread over the Earth's surface and play an important role in aquatic food webs. Dinoflagellates are of interest to ecologists for a number of reasons including their ability to become locally abundant under certain conditions and forming red tides that produce high toxin levels which can kill sea life and cause serious illness in humans that consume contaminated seafood. Dinoflagellates are also of particular interest to cell and molecular biologists because they have a lot of DNA, ranging from 3 billion to 215 billion bases per cell, and their chromosomes look unique when viewed under a microscope. 
Early studies of these phytoplankton chromosomes carried out by his colleagues fascinated Decker. I gave a seminar at Laval University in Quebec. I know it well because it started my interest in um, these organisms. I talked about my work on the human genome. Ron Hancock was my host. He said, well, that's all very nice. Uh, those are very interesting chromosomes. But have you ever thought about dinoflagellates? They have very strange chromosomes. So I said, no, I've never heard of dinoflagellates. Can we talk about it? Maybe you can send me some literature. He sent me a whole set of papers. And since then, I've been hooked on understanding these very strange chromosomes. In general, I'm just interested to understand how cells can manage their very long chromosomes. I refer to that as the chromosome folding problem. Every cell, every organism has to solve that problem. Humans have solved it in one way. Bacteria solve it in another way. And I think dioflagellates have solved that problem of managing all that DNA in yet another way. Although dinoflagellates are eukaryotic organisms with linear chromosomes organized into a nucleus, the genomic similarity to humans more or less ends there. Most eukaryotic organisms, including humans, organize their DNA by wrapping it around groups of proteins to form nucleosomes. Nucleosomes compact DNA into chromatin, which is then further looped and folded into chromosomes for cell division. During interphase, when cells are not dividing, most eukaryotes unfold their DNA so that the cellular machinery can express genes effectively. In contrast, although dinoflagellates have very large chromosomes, their DNA remains in a permanently condensed state throughout the cell cycle without relying on nucleosomes. I was really intrigued by it because I thought, how can the chromosome be so condensed and still be replicated? How can all the genes that are on that chromosome still be expressed? That led us to study the folding of chromosomes in these organisms. And that took us a long time because there was no genome sequence available for any dinoflagellate. That was actually something that let us and others develop methods where we can actually assemble chromosomes using chromosome conformation capture data. Due to its complexity, the existing sequencing methods at the time weren't useful for determining the dinoflagellate genome sequence. This remained a major challenge to understanding the 3D structure when Decker's team began studying these organisms in 2011. Although chromosome conformation capture techniques initially relied on a known genetic sequence, they are similar to short-read sequencing in some ways. Both technologies rely on fragments of DNA which allowed Decker to use chromosome conformation capture to determine the dinoflagellate genome sequence. It sounds kind of backwards, because with chromosome conformation capture, we can study the 3D folding of a known sequence. But we realized, if you understand the rules, can we use chromosome conformation capture to determine the three-dimensional structure of a genome, and then, using that structure, predict the linear DNA sequence? We applied it as a proof of concept to the human genome. But we developed that method really to determine the linear DNA sequence and three-dimensional structure of dinoflagellate chromosomes. That took us many more years because it turns out it was a very difficult genome to assemble. About two years ago, we published our first publication where we described the linear sequence of a dinoflagellate genome and its three-dimensional structure. Before Decker's team embarked on studies of the dinoflagellate genome, 
other researchers had looked at the dinoflagellate chromosomes with electron microscopy. They discovered rod-shaped chromosomes that look almost like crystals inside the nucleus, condensed and separate from each other in a manner that appears completely different from other linear chromosomes in 3D space. The dinoflagellate genome displayed what scientists refer to as liquid crystalline properties, which Decker and his research team further characterized with chromosome confirmation capture in 2021. A liquid crystalline structure is really a biophysical structure that can apply to all kinds of molecules, not just DNA. The type of liquid crystal that people have proposed that these dinoflagellate chromosomes could form have a layer of rod-shaped molecules that just goes back and forth in one plane, from one end to the next and back, like zigzag, and all the linear molecules are located parallel to each other. This would be one disk inside a rod-shaped chromosome. And if you go from the top to the bottom of the chromosome, every time you go one step up along the chromosome, the plane of these aligned molecules rotates slightly. Lots of molecules can form these kinds of structures. And DNA has been shown to form such structures in vitro. Bacteria can also form such structures. They normally don't do this, but under certain specific conditions, they form these highly compacted but aligned semi-liquid crystalline structures. So it is a, a solution to the chromosome folding problem that may have been found in many species, not just dinoflagellates. So the question, of course, is why do cells do this? Is this just a way to pack a lot of DNA in a small volume? We don't know the answers to these questions, which is one reason, of course, why we're so interested by these dinoflagellates. Decker's work on the genetic and spatial organization of dinoflagellate genomes with chromosome confirmation capture has provided a foundation for deeper exploration of their extraordinary chromosomes. It has also provided evolutionary insight to how eukaryotes solve the chromosome folding problem and the molecular machines involved in organizing human DNA throughout the cell cycle. The structure of human DNA has a different appearance during interphase when cells are not dividing versus when they are undergoing mitosis. In interphase, cells unpack their DNA to express genes, while during cell division, chromosomes become very condensed and compacted into rod-like structures. This is important for chromosome segregation during cell division, and this compact structure during mitosis enabled scientists to discover chromosomes in the first place. More than a century ago, researchers first viewed chromosomes with a light microscope during cell division, and when the DNA was compacted into high-contrast structures. During interphase, however, the chromosomes disappeared from microscopic view. In mitosis, when cells divide, there are machines that bind DNA and pump out little loops in such a way that the chromosome forms a long series of loops. Those loops are very stable. They're a couple hundred kilobase in size, and they force the chromosome in a structure that you can see in the microscope. When cells go into interface, the machines that made these mitotic chromosomes dissociate from the chromosome. But another machine that actually does something very similar will bind to DNA and also start making loops. Those loops are much more dynamic. They come and go, and they're not very stable. They're not very dense arrays of loops along the chromosome. Because the loops are dynamic, the chromosome doesn't form a rod. And now it just can become a more a diffuse structure that's more difficult to see in the microscope. A basic process of chromosome folding 
is the formation of these loops. The way these loops are made, by which machine, and how stable these loops are, will determine whether you have a mitotic chromosome, a dense rot, or a diffuse blob of DNA in interface when cells are not dividing. In humans and other mammals, these looping molecular machines are condensin during mitosis and cohesin during interphase. Cells rely on the loops made by these machines for gene regulation. There are regulatory elements of the DNA that need to reach genes far away along the chromosome, and the looping mechanisms of these molecular machines facilitate those interactions in 3D space. While this mechanism of gene regulation is not evolutionarily conserved in all eukaryotes, the machines themselves are, suggesting their significance beyond regulating gene expression. These are very ancient machines. They are found across the tree of life. In fact, dinoflagellates have them also. These machines typically, this is my view, are dedicated to chromosome folding. They organize chromosomes. And only more recently during evolution, these machines have been co-opted to do other things. It is speculation on my part, but I do think given that they are so ancient and given that they're found in organisms that don't use them for gene expression, I really believe that they originally evolved to really solve the problem of chromosome folding. Dinoflagellates serve as an example of this possible evolutionary trajectory. Unlike human cells, the dinoflagellate genome remains condensed throughout its cell cycle, and the mechanisms involved in gene expression seem to differ substantially from humans. Still, these single-celled phytoplanktons share the looping machinery that human cells rely on for effective gene expression and cell division. The evolutionary steps between the unique dinoflagellate DNA structure and human chromosome folding mechanisms require further untangling. With the advent of high-throughput chromosome conformation capture, the current era of 3D genomics is enabling an ever-increasing understanding of how different species solve this problem to package their DNA and organize a functional genome. From Decker's perspective, an in-depth knowledge of the function of folding is the next research curiosity on the horizon. Now that we can solve the three-dimensional structure of chromosomes, we need to understand how it's functional. The folding itself I see as an important function, but it's increasingly clear that the folding of chromosomes impacts the expression of genes. How does that work? We still don't understand. This is certainly something my lab is very interested in. Now that we can see the structure of chromosomes using methods like chromosome conformation capture, and we know some of the machines that drive chromosome folding, we are now at a position to change the structure of chromosomes and ask, what happens? How does that affect gene expression? I think it's very informative, in fact, very important as a biologist to study many different species. They all have to solve that problem of how to organize all that DNA. They have evolved mechanisms to do that. You might identify new mechanisms or universal mechanisms, but that are being implemented in different ways. And if that is the case, we will learn more about those fundamental mechanisms by studying different organisms. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Deanna McNeil. Thank you again to Arima Genomics for sponsoring this episode. Please join us again in May as we learn about the drug discovery and targeting the undruggable. 
To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.